Would you join me in the book of Acts, chapter 10? The book of Acts, chapter 10. And I'm sure as soon as I say the book of Acts, chapter 10, you know it's about Cornelius, the Italian centurion, in a momentous turn of events, when the door of salvation was opened to people who were not Jewish. Until this time, salvation was primarily uh, being experienced by Jewish people. Of course, Jesus was Jewish, not Italian. Peter was from uh, Galilee, not Rome, Italy. And uh, this is a surprise to some people. And this was a momentous event in chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 22, if you'll join me there. It says, And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So this is a great breakthrough of the gospel to non-Jewish people, uh, otherwise known as Gentiles. Uh, It was uh, threaded through and through with the intervention of God. God. God gave Cornelius uh, an angelic visitation to get him headed toward this event. In the meantime, Peter, in another town, was getting uh, visions that were repeated to him three times. On top of that, just as Peter was finishing receiving these visions from the Lord messengers from Cornelius knocked on his door below. And so the whole message was confirmed by the arrival of the messengers from Cornelius, and the synchronization of the whole thing was simply mind-boggling and could not be ignored. And then uh, Peter shares the word of God in Cornelius' home. Cornelius was so on fire to hear this message. He invited all of his family and friends into the home to hear the word that God was sending him along with him. And while Peter was preaching, before he even got to the altar call, the Holy Ghost fell upon everybody in the house and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, praise God. In Acts chapter 14 and 15 and other places, Peter recounts this momentous event as proof positive that people did not have to become Jewish first before they could get saved and and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That was a big message to the early church. Today, I want to focus on the place a little different for us here who are so familiar with this account. And I'd like to cover three things. First, I want to see where it is that God works in this momentous event. Second, I want to observe the New Testament de-emphasis, de-emphasis on altars and holy temples. 
And third, I want to talk to you about how God can work in our homes. Because this marvelous event took place in a home, in a man's private residence. Okay, Cornelius sends men to Joppa to invite Peter to his house. Uh, Peter was in Joppa. And... Cornelius is thinking, this is what I've got to do in order to get right with God. I've got to send some messengers to this man named Peter. I learned of his existence, of his name, and where he is located from a visitation by an angel. And what we will do is ask this man of God to come to my house. Cornelius does not go to a holy place, a designated and consecrated holy place, in order to get right with God. Instead, he calls a man of God to come to his house. I want to get right with God. And we're going to emphasize this point this morning. An amazing thing happens in his house. Look with me at verse 28. It says, and he said unto them, ye know how, this is Peter speaking to Cornelius. Peter has responded to the invitation now, and he is at Cornelius' house. He says, ye know how it is unlawful, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company and come come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. That means without any arguments against it, without any hesitation. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, what intent ye have for me? Peter points out that he's breaking Jewish law by being in this house, the house of this Italian soldier. The King James says to keep company, and it means to visit a person's house. The New Living Translation says to enter a Gentile house like this. Peter goes on to say how he became convinced that it was God's will for him to enter this Italian soldier's house. It took quite some doing. Peter was not an easy sell when it came to this great change. It took uh, the visitation of an angel to Cornelius, a vision repeated three times to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. A face-to-face invitation from Cornelius' representatives miraculous timing. It took a four to six day round trip to get from Joppa to where Cornelius was and then to go back home. Just the travel time was four to six days. It, all, it has all the marks of a great change in the direction 
of the gospel program. A great change in the gospel plan. It has all the marks. And notice, Cornelius was not to move until he heard from Peter. He stayed home. He gathered his friends and family in his home to hear the gospel. That was exactly as the Lord wanted it. The angel didn't come to Cornelius and say, Cornelius, go to this altar. Go to this temple. Go to this holy place. Go to this special place of history and events. And learn of Jesus there. Said Peter, or Cornelius, stay home. I'll send somebody to you. Verse 30 says, Cornelius' words, I prayed in my house. That's what got it all started. This momentous turn of the kingdom of God, the big ship called the salvation plan of God took a big turn. From Cornelius' side, it took prayer in his house. That's what began it all. One of the most wonderful events in the history of the gospel was taking place as people prayed in their homes. And may I say, in the year 2022, may all of our homes be places of prayer. Amen? May there be prayer going up to God from all of our homes. Jesus went into the temple and he said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. Well, I want to tell you that Jesus has done a marvelous thing now. And now we could say that very thing of all of our houses. Get the money changers out. Cleanse it. Get all this selfishness and greed out. And may every one of our homes be a house of prayer unto the Lord. Amen? You don't have to go to a special temple to get closer to God and hear from Him. And you might say, yeah, but it helps. And I want to say, no, it doesn't. It gets in the way. Peter preaches a salvation message to them. It was a great act of faith on his part to go to a people that he had never envisioned himself going to before. Acts 10.44 While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. This home is a place where the Holy Ghost fell. In verse 45, I'll jump down to the end. It says, On the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Uh, There's a kind of a disruption in the process here. We might think, first you come to Jesus and get saved. Maybe you say the sinner's prayer. Then you get baptized. And then you take some classes for a while before you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the Bible way. The Bible way is take it as it comes. When, it, when, it, when the Holy Ghost comes, receive him. They didn't even have a chance to say the sinner's prayer. But they were making the step in their heart, weren't they? They were taking the step of belief in Jesus Christ. As Peter was sharing the word with them, they were just soaking it in and believing it. All of them, all of them, the whole household. Nobody left out. And they magnified God in an Italian centurion's home. And that home became a place of worship and prayer and the word of God. Do you want your home to be a place of worship? Come on now. Prayer. The word of God. They had church. They had church in that home. There was no steeple on it. There was no stained glass windows in the openings around around about. They didn't have pews. It was a home. And the Holy Ghost fell and filled them all. And it became a place of magnifying God. It became the place of worship. The place of worship did not have to be in a special place that was consecrated to the service of God. Their home became the special place consecrated to the service of God. Are you hearing me? They had church right there. The promise of God came to them right there. The presence of God came to them right there. The power of God came to them right there in that home. As it was in the days following the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2 how the Holy Ghost fell for the first time on a group of believers. And then they started preaching the gospel and people were just getting saved left and right. They were committing their lives to Christ by the scores and the hundreds and the thousands. Very quickly, a revival was going on in Jerusalem. And we read in the beginning of the book of Acts how the brothers and sisters went to great lengths selling their properties and and giving uh, donations to the apostles in order to keep People who had traveled from the entire Mediterranean basin, who had traveled to Jerusalem thinking that they were traveling there for one reason, but then finding Jesus Christ instead. And the idea was to keep them there as long as they could so that they could all learn the doctrine of Christ before going back to their homes Their homes in Asia and Greece and Egypt and northern Africa. And they'd go back to all their homes. Well, they needed more of Jesus 
and more understanding of Jesus before they went home. There were no books yet about Jesus and Christian doctrine. There was no New Testament yet. So all of the understanding of Jesus had to be transferred to them orally. And it was, I'm sure, a very intense learning situation in Jerusalem in the days following the day of Pentecost. But it's like a repeat of that here. Because uh, Cornelius practically begs Peter, stay, stay here. Stay here as long as you can. Stay two days, ten days, twenty days, as long as you can. Stay here and teach us more about Jesus. We've got to know more. Peter couldn't say, well, I've got these wonderful books. Read the Gospel of John first. You know, we often tell people who come to Christ, read the Gospel of John. Peter couldn't tell Cornelius to read the Gospel of John. There was no Gospel of John yet. It would be written within a, a few decades. Peter didn't say, okay, Cornelius... Now, if you want to really advance in Christ, we, you and I have got to go to Jerusalem. We've got to go to Jerusalem because it's the holy city. It's the chosen city of God. Meet me in Jerusalem, the holy city. He didn't say, meet me at the temple. He came to Cornelius. That was clearly God's will. Peter didn't say, come to me in the holy place. Remember, that Jesus told his disciples, go. Go. And make people my disciples, teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you. Go. He didn't say stay put and wait for them to come. It's so in keeping with the whole spirit and important events of the gospel. Here we are in the Christmas season talking about how God has come to man. God has left his place in heaven in search of man. I know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have their accounts of the birth of Jesus. Luke has a great deal of detail, and Matthew has quite a few details. But some years later, after John had been reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke for a while, he said, before I die, I've got to write a gospel. God is pushing me. God is compelling me to write another gospel, a fourth gospel. And he starts with his version of the Christmas story. And it starts like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And there was nothing that was created that wasn't created by Him. But then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen, brothers and sisters. That was His version of the Christmas story. God comes to us. Likewise, Peter comes to Cornelius. Oh, your minds are busy now. What's Brother Brian saying? What's that crazy man saying now? It wasn't like this. Climb the Acropolis, the highest point in the city. 
carry sacrifices to the altar that is there. Come face to face with the priesthood that lives there. Enter into the holy temple. None of that. None of that. It was like this. I'll come to you. I'll come to you, to your house. House calls. A thing of the past. House calls. Our home fellowships to remind us that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit that can be everywhere at once. Hallelujah. He's the Spirit that can visit Christians in a special way here this morning in this house at the same time as he visits someone on the other side of the globe where it's dark and it's the middle of the night. The Holy Spirit can visit them when they're all alone in their house on their knees praying. The Holy Spirit can visit them at the very same time as he visits us here. Amen? Praise God. My second point to you this morning, after talking about what happened in Acts chapter 10, is to observe how the New Testament de-emphasizes altars and holy temples. There is no record in the whole Word of God, as I've studied it, of the apostles telling converts to Christ, come on, let's go see the tomb that is now empty where Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Let's go visit the tomb. Can you think of any case in the Bible where the apostles said, let's go view the tomb? Can you think of any case where they said, let's go and see where the three crosses are up on the hill, on a hill far away? Uh, The truth is that Roman soldiers would not climb a hill with those who were condemned to die on a cross, they would probably go a few feet outside the city gate and put them right there where everybody's got to walk past them and learn of the might and wrath of the Roman Empire. The most humiliating place they could find. Well, you know, we we learned that... uh, The Romans may have, uh, just from tradition and speculation, uh, that the Romans may have covered the tomb from which Jesus rose with trash. A mountain of trash. Turned it into a landfill. But the apostles didn't say, let's go stand near the landfill so we can get as close as we can to where that holy and special event took place. You'll find no record of them ever bringing, them, bringing somebody to where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus rose from the grave, where Jesus ascended to heaven, where Jesus was beaten with whips. There's not anybody in the Bible that encourages, let's go visit that special place. Instead, what you see is your home is now a special place. And the Holy Ghost will visit. Now your minds are thinking. Your minds are busy. I can see the looks in your faces. They didn't try to get closer to a spot. They didn't try after the fact visits to Golgotha. 
There were no mandatory trips to the upper room where the followers of Christ were filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. Galatians 1.18. The Apostle Paul says this, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Paul went to see people in Jerusalem, not places. He didn't go to see shrines. He didn't go to see altars. He didn't go to see holy places. He went to see a man who had given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and had seen Jesus Christ face to face. He wanted to talk to that man. People. The kingdom of God is among people. Not among shrines and temples and altars. You say, well, that's crazy, because if I just drive around Syracuse a little bit, I see all the efforts that people have gone to in order to make special steeples and and windows and altars and, and designs in order to create places for people to go and get close to God. And I want to tell you what you see many times more than any of that in the Bible is you see people experiencing the Holy Ghost fall in their homes. The priority of the kingdom of God is people, not places. People, not places. It wasn't until the early 4th century, the early 300s, that people began to glorify places in the name of the Lord. 300 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Queen Helena, the wife of the Empire, Emperor Constantine, took a trip to the Holy Land under the directives of her, of her husband. She went there with a blank check from her husband. Whatever it costs, whatever the price, Find the holy places were her instructions. Bring back relics of Jesus. Bring them back to Constantinople. Helena ordered churches built over, for instance, the the supposed birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. The place is glorified to this day. Helena ordered a church built on the Mount of Olives from the place supposedly that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Helena began excavations like a a very primitive archaeologist looking for Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified, and the tomb from which Jesus rose from a grave. And while she was not able to uh, actually begin the uh, church in her lifetime, she put in motion the uh, construction of one of the most famous churches in the world today called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Our church has had about a half a dozen trips to Israel, probably uh, 350 or 400 people we've taken to Israel. And you might recall that, I don't know if any of the groups have visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
I visited it. It's very contentious atmosphere inside with all the denominations uh, being territorial and wanting to stake claims on their little corner of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or that. And it smells awful with B.O. and incense and it burning incense and it has kind of strange sounds to it of chanting and so on that are just foreign to me. I, I, don't, I don't pray in vain repetitions, do you? Jesus told us not to do that. Priesthoods, altars, shrines, in one of the oldest churches in the world, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. But I want to remind you that none of this began until the 4th century. Were these really the places, first off, it had been 300 years since the events had actually happened, were these, were these truly the places where Jesus was crucified, where he rose from the grave, where he ascended up into heaven? Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. Place worship. Place worship in Christendom was born long after the New Testament ignored it. The New Testament ignores place worship. I'm sorry, all you Roman Catholics and former Roman Catholics that still have in your heart a fondness for holy places. That's not what you're going to find in the New Testament. A worship of holy places. A consecration of holy places. What you find is that anybody's home can become a holy place when they pray to God. That was pretty weak applause. I think you're wondering if it's true. I think you're wondering. But I like holy places, you may say. I know. The flesh does. The flesh is an idolater. The flesh likes the comfort of it. The flesh likes to be pampered that way. Say, Brother Brian, take it easy on these holy places. A lot of people are really devoted to them. They're wrong. That's not the New Testament position. Some people will tell you that it is the New Testament itself that dates to the 4th century. This is very common teaching after the book, The Da Vinci Code, put forth that very thought that the New Testament itself was a contrived writing of a book after the game of telephone was played for 300 years and that the New Testament didn't really come about until the 4th century. But I want to give you very powerful evidence that the New Testament is not in any way, shape, or form a 4th century document. It doesn't have 4th century sensibilities. It does not have 4th century uh, goals. It does not have 4th century values because the values of the 4th century were the worship of place and the exaltation of place and the building of church and churches in memory of key events in the gospel story. This was all never happened before until the 4th century and Helena on her blank check mission. That obsession was new in the 4th century. Besides which, many of the places that they claimed to consecrate 
may very well be the wrong places. That obsession with holy places is totally absent from the New Testament. First century Christians, the real thing, were called atheists by the Romans and by the people of other religions. Those Christians, those followers of Christ, they're atheists. And we might say, what a a slanderous and misappropriated term for Christians. What, atheists? They don't believe in God? I'll tell you why. They were called atheists. Because they had no priesthood. They had no altar. They had no temple. They had no set of steps that you had to climb up. They had no no penance that they had to do in order to find God. They had no Acropolis that they had to visit. They had no holy uh, trips, no... no, uh, Uh, holy trips that they had to make in order to get right with God. And so everybody said, they must be atheists. No temple. No altar. No sacrifice. I understand. People want security. They want stability. They want something that's always there. You know what Jesus said about place. In John 4, 21, The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Nor yet at Jerusalem. I've been to Israel and heard the guides joke, we're going to go to the Western Wall today. It is the only remaining part of the retaining wall that dates all the way back to the time of Jesus. And we're going to go there and we're going to pray along with the many Jewish people and people from all over the world that gather there to pray. And he said, when you pray at the Western Wall, it's like a local call for God instead of a long-distance call. Well, that's a funny story and it's a funny joke, but it has absolutely zero New Testament truth to it. You are as close to God in your home as you are in some so-called holy place. And, and faith in the holy place is just going to get in, way, in the way of your faith in God. In Acts 10, we see that the Holy Ghost made the home of the most unlikely man, Cornelius, made that home into a holy place, a place of worship, a place of the Word, and a place of prayer. The absence of any references to visiting holy places or the consecration of historical places in the New Testament, hear me closely now, the absence of any elevation of holy places, you don't see one case of it in the New Testament. That divides the New Testament sensibilities, perspective, mental state, position, faith from what was going on in the fourth century. This is very strong proof that the New Testament is indeed not the product of the fourth century. If the New Testament was the product of the fourth century, like some people claim, like the Da Vinci Code claimed, 
then it would be filled with exaltation of holy places and the building of churches and, the, and visits to Golgotha and visits to the tomb and visits to here and visits to there. That was the sensibility and mindset. That was the culture of the fourth century of Constantine and Helena. That was no, nothing close to the mindset of the New Testament writers. Acts 5.42, if you would, Acts 5.42, a few pages back. I don't expect you to say amen to that because you never heard it before. You're thinking. Go ahead and think. It's solid. Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Teaching, preaching, prayer, Worship, the Word of God, belongs in our houses. They belong in big church too. They did this in the large gatherings in the temple. They did it also in the small gatherings in the homes. Like we're doing. This morning, we're in the big church. We're in big church. We're all together. Everybody in Living Word Church. Everybody that can make it. And we're here for prayer and worship and the Word of God. Hallelujah! But we don't worship this building. We don't worship this place. We don't have a special presence of God that hovers over the place. The special presence of God hovers over you. When you're in this place, the special presence of God hovers over this place. When you're not in this place, it's just a dead building. Like Brother Bob said so many times, after the rapture comes and God takes the church off of the face of the earth, the sinners can have this building and do whatever they want with it. We're out of here. It's not the place we seek. We do not seek the mood of the place. We do, not say, we do not seek the presence that is said to be in that place. That is 4th century thinking. That is 4th century talk. That's Helena and Constantine talking. We're not followers of Helena and Constantine. We're followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The New Testament has priority for us over the Old Testament, doesn't it? Very important. The Old Testament says, Unto the place where the Lord God has set his name, thither thou shalt come, and thither thou shalt bring thy offerings. Well, the New Testament has a different take on that because the place the Old Testament is referring to is Jerusalem and the temple. We move that as a type and as a shadow of things to come to our homes, to the gathering together of the congregation of the Lord, like we're doing this morning. And I want to tell you, if for some reason we met in a different place this morning than this building, if we all packed up and, you know, went to a nice big facility that could hold us all, and we had church there, the presence of God would be with us every bit as much as he is with us here this morning. It's not this place. Amen, brothers and sisters. He's, he visits us in a wonderful way under a tin roof up at camp in Williamstown, New York, doesn't he? The Holy Ghost can fall on Cornelius' house. The Holy Ghost can fall in Simon the Tanner's house. That's where Peter was waiting, and he received the message from God, go to Cornelius. 
the Holy Ghost can fall in Lydia's house, in Peter's house, in Mary and Martha's house, in Paul's house. The Word of God can be heard in all these places. Prayer to God can go up effectively in all these places, and it includes your house, too. If the Holy Ghost falls in your house and people get filled with the Holy Ghost, do you think we'll say, oh, no, it didn't really happen because it didn't happen here? Oh, no, we're not going to say that. No more than Peter said it. Because the Holy Ghost fell out, falls on you and you're not in front of an altar? And you're not, in front of, and you're not inside a temple? Because you're at your home? That's a... That's, a wonderful and maybe the best place of all for the Holy Ghost to fall on you. I can see that in the book of Acts, the gift of the Holy Ghost is named many ways, and I can't, frankly, see any distinction between all the different terminology that is used for being filled with the Holy Ghost. There is the gift of the Holy Ghost, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came upon The Holy Ghost was poured out. People were filled with the Holy Ghost. As I see it, all of these refer to the same thing. They received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were full of the Holy Ghost. They received the Holy Ghost. They felt the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost would shed forth. That's probably a good ten different ways to refer to the Holy Ghost falling. The most important thing is that the Holy Ghost falls. Peter and Cornelius didn't know each other. They were not inclined to have anything to do with each other culturally and religiously. I heard last night that Brother Breck's group sang Christmas carols to Jewish people, Muslim people, and Catholic people. were invited right into their homes, and the people were tearing up as the group sang with all their hearts. Hallelujah. Cornelius and Peter were opposites of each other, but God used each one to change in a wonderful way the other. Peter changed Cornelius, and Cornelius changed Peter. They were used by God. They had a profound impact on each other. Brothers and sisters, you can say about church and your perspectives on church, and my job as a pastor is we want care. We want spiritual care. We want spiritual comfort. We want to be taken care of. High priority to us for a church and the role of a pastor is that we want to be taken care of. I say absolutely okay, but not too much. Not too much because we've still got to be kind of kicked out of the nest from time to time. Like the mother robin kicks her babies out of the nest. The babies just want to stay there and have the mama robin bring to them the worms and stuff them down their throat. They just want to sit up when they hear mother robin land on the nest and open their mouths. But after a while, the the mother says, out of the nest! And they can hardly fly, and they manage not to crash land in the yard. But I'll see, also, the mother and the father, Robin, follow the kids around for a little while and actually keep feeding them worms 
while they're hopping around in the yard and while they're flying around from branch to branch for the first time in their little lives. But that only lasts for a little while too, right? You know how, ro- how long it takes robins to reach maturity? About two weeks from breaking out of the egg to being an adult robin. Wow, you better hurry up and learn how to listen for worms. I don't want to coddle you. I'm against coddling you. Comfort, yes. Security, yes. Look at us. Look how much is being given to us this morning. Look how much we're being served this morning. Look how much we're being taken care of this morning. Look how comforting this is. But enough's enough. This is all not all about us being comforted and coddled. That is not the sum total of why Jesus came to this earth. We've got to go. Go. Be used of the Lord. Win souls to Christ. Love people. Get to know them. I promised you at the end of this message, and I don't have much time left, to make some comments about how God may use our homes. Let me make, some, first of all, some comments about witnessing. I know so many of you, we're hearing about it in home fellowships, are really intimidated by the whole idea of witnessing. Will you lighten up on yourself? Why are you making this so hard? It's not hard. You don't have to get into 10-point apologetics. You don't ha- you're not going to be graded on your eloquence. Why don't you do this? Just invite everybody you meet to home fellowships. Just invite them. I hear from Sister Kennedy, Master Leo, that she goes to college and she just starts inviting kids that she knows up at college. And you know what they say? Yeah, I'll come. And she's getting two or three at a time to come to home fellowship. Just invite them to home fellowship. They're going to get a big ear full of Jesus there. They're going to see the love of God. They're going to see you love each other. Give them a little time to figure out who Jesus is. Don't worry about witnessing to them. Bring them to home fellowship. Just be yourself. Be your Christian self. Don't decide ahead of time that they're not going to be interested. Ah, no, I'm not inviting them. I know that ahead of time they're not going to be interested. Oh, really? How do you know? How do you know so much about what's going on inside the human heart and head? Home fellowships are a great way to build faith in a visitor. That's what needs to happen. Their faith needs to be built and nurtured. They, they have to grow in trust and in faith. You, they might need a lot more time and support than what you received. Now, if you're a, a lifelong Living Word uh, member and you went to Living Word Academy besides, you were given an awful lot of time and a lot of support to figure out who Jesus is, Right? Well, let other people take their time. Yeah, but if I don't win it, have them say the sinner's prayer, they might get in a car accident tonight and go to hell, and, it, and it'll be on my head. Don't worry about that. That's a little ridiculous. Stop it. Trust God. That God will give them all the time they need to figure out who Jesus is. 
I would say to you, don't bother looking for easy cases. Oh, there's an easy case for Christ. Hungry, ready. I wouldn't bother looking for them. You know why? Because there aren't very many. You're not going to talk to anybody about Jesus if you want to wait to tell people about Jesus until you find an easy case. Just invite them to home fellowship. It's so easy. Hey, we get together, we read the Bible, we discuss the Bible. It's very informal. Everybody has plenty to say. We pray. We sing a song or two. Why don't you come? Come on. Come on over our house. Do you realize you have instant credibility when you do that? That they have instant suspicion when you invite them here. Well, what are they up to? Just like many of you did. You came to church the first time thinking Brother Bob wanted to get into people's pockets or something like that. Instant suspicion when you invite them to big church. Instant credibility when you invite them to your homes. It's one of the reasons why we're doing it. Because they say, oh wow, they bring their faith home with them. They're really meaning it. It really means, they really mean this living for Jesus stuff. We're not in a race to the sinner's prayer. It's not a race. That's not how you win. The soul that you are bringing to Christ is not your trophy for getting them to the sinner's prayer. And you don't get to carve a notch in your six-shooter. Got one. No, these are souls. They need care. They need support. They need relationship. They need their faith in the Word of God to be built up. Let me have, throw out some suggestions. Invite someone to your house. Go for a walk with them. If you go for a walk and you meet the same person several times, why don't you say, hey, how about tomorrow we uh, synchronize our walks and we go for a walk together? How'd you like to do that? Would you like to go for a walk together at the same time? Oh, no, I'm busy tomorrow. Okay, how about Thursday? Go for a walk with them. Go shopping with them. Go, f- go for tea. Hey, let's, let's uh, meet and have a bagel at that new bagel shop. Explore a hobby. Go to their house. Peter went to Cornelius' house. People have to figure Christ out, especially in this day when they, are, they have got everybody trying to sell them on the life-changing acts. Acme life-changing. People need time. People have to get past a lot of their inhibitions. Give them some time. Give them the relationship they need. People should not be treated like trophies or an accomplishment for you. That soul is not your accomplishment. That soul is Jesus' accomplishment. Show that you care. Don't stop being a Christian. You say, I'm going to go for a walk with this person, and what am I going to do? Just, you know, go with whatever they want and say and think? No! You're not going to stop being a Christian for a minute. But you know they don't think all just like you. Be a resource for them rather than a salesman. Be a sincere person of prayer in the Word. Am I speaking to your hearts? Am I talking to you? Let's not make it so hard. 
Let's not make it a race to the sinner's prayer because you get to the sinner's prayer and you get him to say the sinner's prayer and then you go your separate ways and you don't even know what's going to happen with them then. Is this person now headed for heaven? We're not saved because we go through some ritual prayer. Be a resource. Be leaders. Leaders of home fellowships, lead and learn. Help your assistants to develop. This is not all about comfort. Get ready. Those of you who are assistants at home fellowships, get ready. Those of you who aspire to be used of God in this setting, learn quickly because our groups are going to multiply. We're ready to multiply some of those groups right now. Multiply means one group becomes two groups. And they go to two different places. And it's yet another arm of Living Word Church reaching out to central New York. Get ready. You say, yeah, but we're just getting comfortable with the group we're in. I know, but this isn't all about being comfortable. It's not all about being stable. It's about going. Getting going. Moving out. Doing something for Jesus and the people who are not part of our wonderful community yet. Get ready, those of you who aspire to be leaders, because you are going to get your chance. There is a need right now. And there will be more need coming up. And those of you who are in home fellowships, and it comes time for your home fellowship to multiply, I want to remind you of something. It's being mission-minded rather than comfort and safety-minded. It's being mission-minded that got home fellowship started. You've been really great about it. You've been awesome about it. It was being mission-minded that got them started. Not being safety-minded. Not being comfort-minded. It isn't all about you being safe and comfortable. That's what you heard for months you heard from me. Well, that hasn't changed. And so when it comes time for your group to multiply, one group to become two, we have one group that could become three. It's big enough, it could become three. Right now. Don't say, but I'm comfortable, but I'm safe, but I want stability. Let there be some, there, there needs to be in your Christian walk some upset. There needs to be some waves, some rocky road, some challenges, a little bit of discomfort too, along with all the stability and the comfort. It's not all about you, is it? It's not all about you. It's not all about you being safe. But my family, I want my family to be safe. Oh, we still have Living Word Academy, don't we? We still have three meetings a week, don't we, for big church? Brother Brian has been here for 30 years. I don't plan on leaving tomorrow unless the Lord take me. There's a lot of stability here. We're taking care of the comfort side. We're taking care of the comfort, the safety, and the stability issues. We're not going to neglect that responsibility. But we are going to move. We are going to go. We are going to multiply. We are going to reach out. We've got a job to do. 
God wants to use our houses. God wants to use our homes. I want to encourage you that have not joined home fellowships yet to join. What are you doing on Friday nights? Is it so great? Because we're not going to stop. We're, he- we're headed down this road. Come on, join with us if you would. Remember, we started this with a missionary mindset. This missionary mindset is something that I am determined, the elders are determined, the preaching team is determined, many of the, all the leaders of home fellowships are determined that we would live out this missionary mindset, not pick it up for a moment and then put it down, but that we live with this missionary mindset. Oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, help the word to grow and bring forth fruit In Jesus' holy name, amen. God bless you. That's it for today.